This is the John Favreau's My Daddy podcast with Jessica Garcia and Monica Montoya. What's shaking, Monica? What's shaking, Bacone? <laughs> Bacone? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's been a hot minute since we have recorded. Now. I know, I know. We had a, a big COVID scare, which, you know, it's kind of like the pandemic version of the pregnancy scare where everyone, you tell your friends, they all freak out with you. Yeah, except you can't catch it through respiratory droplets. Pregnancy, I mean, no. COVID you can't. COVID you can't. <laughs> COVID you can also catch during sex. <laughs> Correct. Which you can, you can catch a, you can catch a baby during sex too. <laughs> Catch that baby. Catch it all. <laughs> Gotta catch them all. Oh my God. I want to be the very best. No one ever was. I want to catch them in my real dust. To train them is my cause. At what point did this become like copyright infringement? I don't know. Don't know. When we start making more than 10 cents an episode. To be honest with you, I have no idea what. The, what the laws of copyright are. Me neither. The written laws of copyright. And I don't want to know. Don't tell us. Don't tell us. <laughs> I don't really feel like being in any legal trouble today. Me neither. That's why we end every episode the way we do. It's all so risky. <laughs> risky, risky business. Risky business. But yes, we had big COVID scares. Um, I My my friend and I accidentally hosted a small super spreader event. <laughs> I was not at this event. <laughs> In which four of the six people there got COVID. I don't know how I wasn't one of the six. I my theory is that Jessica is like Matt Damon in Contagion. Oh, okay, and she's immune. I have I, I'm also Matt Damon in Contagion. There can only be one Monica. That's really funny because I'm also Matt Damon. In and Contagion. I don't really think that we want to place our bets on the person missing our appendix. No, do we? No. That's true. Yeah. That's the other thing. <laughs> is um. I don't have an appendix anymore. I think we've already talked we about talked this. We talked about this in the last episode. But uh, yeah. in case, okay. in case yeah. you forgot. I, I forgot. In case something sounds like it's missing, we just feel the need to remind you. I'm, I have one less the organ. The appendix is what's missing. <laughs> if you look up pictures of, of a normal sized appendix and then look up pictures of uh, an appendix that, that is inflamed, uh, you'll see that <laughs> it looks like it hurts. <laughs> So I had that taken out of me, but uh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I mean, I still have mine, so I win. Uh, but anyway, stay safe out there. If you're vaccinated yet, probably look into that <laughs> at this point. If you haven't done it yet, I, I, May- feel, I feel like the chances of someone listening to our oh podcast God. and not being vaccinated is very low. I feel like, I feel like our listeners are pretty smart. I feel like y'all would y'all, y'all would get, get it, right? with the times. I don't know. I just need everyone get to get your do. boosty. Oh yeah, get your boosty McBoosterson. I got boosted. That's how I credit not getting COVID. Your despite boost spending Malone. seventy-two hours with someone who had COVID. Yeah, with your uh, with your. <laughs> I was gonna say with your juices combining. Ew. <laughs> I don't. I don't mean it like that. I mean like sweat and sweat. That's how COVID <laughs> spreads. <laughs> he sweated on me. Oh my Do God. you mean saliva? It's okay. We're all adults here. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe there's a child listening. No kissing. No. There was no kissing. I've never kissed a boy 
or anyone kissing in my only happens upside down like in spider-man i only kiss carrie barkshaw carrie barkshaw she's sitting in the corner enjoying her life i know she Unlike doesn't make me. noise anymore for us on our recording she doesn't she was trained by it's the best new, trainer it's a new chip i'm gatekeeping the name of our trainer unfortunately <laughs> so i'm not so gonna no share one, no one can better no if you're in the pasadena area i'm not telling don't you call monica don't call me <laughs> I don't, won't tell I, you. We do not wish to be perceived. Well, <laughs> no, don't perceive me today. <laughs> I do not exist. <laughs> uh, Monica, I'm very excited about today's episode. I am also very excited about today's episode because we're doing a very special daddy today. Yeah, someone uh, just really someone I fucking love. I love everything he's ever done. It, he, he has made a couple of one of you know some some of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, exactly. Uh you know, he's a gag in uh a year in the life. <laughs> um and he's also and he doesn't um, deserve it. And he doesn't deserve it and he's also a music video director. Um please give a warm welcome <laughs> to Paul. Get over here. Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> Woo! Woo! <laughs> Uh, we fa- we faked you out. Huh? Yeah, uh-huh, you really uh-huh. thought you really thought we got big for a minute, didn't you? You really thought. I mean, that's the wish. That's Ever the goal. since we got on Wikipedia, everyone <sighs> has been thinking that we're bigger than we are. Guys, someone put us on Wikipedia. Oh yeah, go on Wikipedia and scroll down. We're on there now. We're on John Favreau's Wikipedia page. Um, <laughs> we're under popular culture or whatever. In popular culture. In popular yeah, culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're I guess we are popular culture. We are. I consider myself po- popular. popular. Cultured. <laughs> Popular. Popular. <laughs> I'm imagining uh um what's his Anton Ego yeah. as uh as Galinda the Good Witch. Popular. I'm going to be popular. I know about popular. <laughs> that's pretty good that's the crossover no one asked for i asked for it <laughs> that's some fucking that's the, that's a crossover that that fucking dude on instagram would love honestly remy could sing defying gravity and it would mean something <laughs> and it would mean something <laughs> defying Can gravity in relation to how and if he you stirs can find soup. me like to the western sky <laughs> But it's just all in squeaks. Yeah. When <laughs> I can't. It would make sense, though. It would, you know, it would make so much sense. Also, like Linguini and Remy singing "Loathing," perfect. <laughs> uh, let's make this happen. Guys. I mean, this is a crossover no one asked for. That probably sucks, but we're gonna do it. It's like when Phineas and Ferb in Star Wars did that crossover. No one asked for that. Mm. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I can see Aaron clenching in the corner. Like, oh, he's God. crying, Monica. I know he's fucking you sobbing. You made him cry. Oh my Aaron. God. Dude, I didn't mean Stop to make you sobbing. cry. Little bitch boy. I didn't mean to make you cry. I'm Guys, sorry. Aaron's not crying. He's not crying. We're just really good actors. We're just, you see, you thought Paul Thomas Anderson was You fell for it again. I can't believe how gullible you guys are. <laughs> thinking that things are happening when they're not happening. Because yeah, we tell you to, because this is an audio medium. So how are you? Shit. How do you know that he's crying? <laughs> you don't know. Exactly. Maybe uh, he is, maybe he isn't. I say he is. I say he is. In, on the inside, 24-7 honestly <laughs> he's like honestly maybe 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 Kinda so true and we'll be right back 
Now back to the show. Uh, okay, Paul Thomas Anderson. Monica, you want to tell us about him? I absolutely do want to tell you about Fantastic. him. Fantastic. Tell me. Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hold, hold on. Hold on a second. Monica and I and Aaron, but he wasn't there for this part. We went to go see fucking licorice pizza and Monica and I were in the bathroom and the whole time she at like above full volume was just going, what if you said Thomas? <laughs> It's like the fucking people in this restroom. <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson. And then she's like, Jessica, say it. Say it. And I was like, no. And she goes, just say it. <laughs> and then you finally said it. And I said, finally said it. And then I walked it was away from so you. so fucking funny. <laughs> I stood there laughing like five minutes. <laughs> it's because I was peeing and the ideas were just free flowing. As, as they do at that time. You know, the year really makes things go. <laughs> Okay, tell us about Thomas. I'll tell you about Thomas. Paul Thomas Anderson is an American film director, producer, and screenwriter from the 818, baby. You represent. Uh, shout out to the San Fernando Valley. If you guys don't remember, we're, all three of us are from the We're all from, from, you know, my number is still 818. Same. Uh, and it will never change. They can pry it from my cold, dead iPhone. They can pry it from my Verizon plan. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, he developed an interest in filmmaking from a young age. He made his feature film debut with Hardy in 1996, and he found critical and commercial success with one of the films we'll be talking about today, Boogie Nights, uh, in 1997. So he was a fast and quick fucking boy. second movie? Second movie ever. Second movie when he was like 27 years it's, old? It's, Get fucked, Paul Thomas Anderson. It's really I, depressing. It really is. <laughs> What uh, am I doing with my life? Honestly. Like, this podcast. This podcast <laughs> where we discuss Thomas. <laughs> um, and Boogie Nice was set in the golden age of porn. That's pornography. For the... For those... Who, for the kids. No. <laughs> oh, God. Um, how do you describe pornography? Um, it's sex on tape. No. Yes. It's like pornography you don't need to define pornography you know it when you see it (laughs) you know it when you see it that's what it says in the dictionary pornography you know know when when you you see it it. (laughs) uh and received further accolades with magnolia uh in 1999 so again this man is just going 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 going. magnolia an ensemble piece set in the san fernando valley and punch drunk love a romantic comedy drama film which if you did not know we covered in the adam sandler episode so uh, the one <laughs> that's focused on his drama yes correct correct uh, which is also we were talking about uncut gems yes, another incredible brilliant movie listen to that episode so good um daddy pablo attended santa monica college before enrolling and spending two semesters as an english major at emerson college <laughs> where he was taught by fucking david foster wallace Just, it's no big deal which if you don't know who david foster wallace is he's a brilliant novelist essayist mm-hmm. so he he was truly brilliant and only two days he spent only two days not david foster wallace thomas <laughs> thomas spent only two days at nyu before he began his career as a production assistant on televisions, films, music videos, and game shows in Los Angeles and New York City. So he he quit college, Jessica. I just thought that you needed to know. Listen, he didn't do it like a week before his graduation. <laughs> Is that that if it's within your senior year, I have a big problem with that. Oh my god. <laughs> 
second semester senior year college dropouts make me want to punch them in the face. Literally you took stop. out loans. Dude, it's you better took this out way. Loans to walk out of there? It's better this way. No, I'm an elitist. They said a massive fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica said fuck the lower class. <laughs> Listen. If you made it that far, unless you dropped out for a really good reason. But if no, you're just like, Jessica, Hollywood, stop it. Fucking Brad Pitt dropped out like the week, like the day of his graduation, some shit like that. Two days. Listen to a Brad Pitt episode. That's just shameful. I don't know. Who shame. knows? Shame. Shame on you. Shame <laughs> on you, Brad. Um, I, for one, think it's a power. I need, okay, you guys need to tell I don't us. agree. Is it a power move? Like, what They're going to agree with you. I'm right. <laughs> But I don't think you're right. I that's really funny because of the majority of the hint that think that I am right. Then what do you want me to do about it? I then that means that I'm right. No, it means that this is a subjective thing. <laughs> get out of here. You get out. <laughs> this is my house. <laughs> I'm taking the dog. I'm taking the dog. <laughs> okay, keep um, telling me. Oh my goodness. <sighs> Feeling that the material shown to him at film school turned the experience into a homework or chore, he decided to make a 20-minute film that would be his college. And the rest is history. No big deal. It basically went to fucking Sundance. And from there, this motherfucker just like, I think it was called like cigarettes and coffee or some bullshit. He's just too talented. He's so good. Like Paul Thomas Anderson, this is good. Okay. Thomas. This is going to sound really cringe, but I mean it. Oh my God. Please don't say anything. Well, then I don't know how we're supposed to do this episode, Monica. I think maybe we can grunt. (laughs) (laughs) If you could just grunt your feelings. But what I was going to say is that Paul Thomas Anderson is one of those filmmakers that like, when I watch his movies, I'm like, I'm really fucking thankful I'm alive to see his movies. (laughs) He has that effect on a lot of, a lot of the things that he like puts his hands on. Mm -hmm. He has that effect. I think, I mean, obviously like a lot of people know him as Maya Rudolph's husband. As we yes. saw from that Cosmopolitan article. I wanted to slap it. It was so crazy because it was like, let's find out who Maya Rudolph's husband is. And it's just bananas. Because it was written like this year. It was written. It wasn't like written forever ago. No. It was written this. It was written. Not I me. Mean, we're in 2022 now, but it was written in November of 2021. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, But uh, I see what she sees in him. Oh, for sure. Yeah. He's, he, I think like he's a very representative mm-hmm. um, filmmaker. Yeah. Like he represents that generation mm-hmm. of filmmakers. Totally. The, I think it's like the, 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 not the blockbuster filmmaker, <laughs> but the, like the. The auteurs. The video store film filmmakers. Yeah. You know. The Quentin Tarantino. They were not making films with like their Super 8 cameras. They were making films with their VHS tapes. Yeah. That's what they were doing. And now and calling he's them college. And co- <laughs> enough. <laughs> enough out of you. <laughs> you can't do this anymore. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna tell you about his first movie, all right? All right. All right. This movie is, as we said, Boogie Nights. My favorite. 
personally. Uh, came out in 1997, written and directed by, you guessed it, Paul Thomas Anderson. Wow. Wow, PTA. <laughs> in the San Fernando Valley in 1977, teenage busboy Eddie Adams, played by Mark Wahlberg, gets discovered by porn director Jack Horner, played by Burt Reynolds, brilliantly, who transforms him into adult film sensation Dirk Diggler. Dirk Diggler. <laughs> Brought into a supportive circle of friends, including fellow actors Amber Waves, played by Julianne Moore, Roller Girl, played by Heather Graham, and Reed Rothschild, played by John C. Riley. Dirk fulfills all his ambitions, but a toxic combination of drugs and egotism threatens to take him back down. <sighs> what wow. This movie is so fucking good. <gasps> there is so much that this movie has influenced in other movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also talks about the San Fernando Valley in a way that is both like nostalgic and also like dirty uh-huh. <laughs> because that's what it was because that's what it was. I mean, the San Fernando Valley is still the porn capital of the world. Oh, yeah. May I remind everyone? Yeah, I went to school in Chatsworth, which as did I, which is the the porn capital of the that's world. That's where all is We made. saw all we drive past all the porn houses on the way to Squela. <laughs> So, you know, what are you going to do? On my way to Catholic school, just passing the porn. It's fine. I wonder if maybe that's why they put the Catholic school there. Maybe. Is to, to, like, come, cancel it out? To, like, cancel out the the, the hornography. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds likely. <laughs> you know, the, the archdiocese really said, nah. And he was like, let's They're just. They're like, this, this block needs Jesus. This block? <laughs> this block. <laughs> You're welcome. And in him and with him and also with him. <laughs> and with his spirit, amen. With his spirit, amen. amen. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. I think it really accurately portrays the San Fernando Valley as it was then and also keeps, you know, it's funny to see like hunks of it very much still existing now. Well, I mean, the San Fernando Valley is like a nostalgic place, period, which is why I think he likes making his movies about the valley. He's done it, what, three times now? Yeah. And I mean, he grew up there, so that also helps. But also, yeah, like, the Valley is just kind of time capsule in a weird way um, that I think lends itself really well to cinema. It's hard because, um, and I don't say this to be, like, uh, exclusionary. I say this because it's, a, it's the truth. It's hard when people, like, adult humans move to the Valley for, to, like, pay, honestly, yes. just to pay less rent. Yes. <laughs> um, and they're like yeah like you know we're in the valley like we're living this life but like living in the valley as an adult moving from somewhere else to the valley is an entirely different experience yes. than <laughs> being conceived and born in the valley yes i have people people i went to college with have moved to the valley and they're like oh yeah we yes. live in sherman oaks now and i was like but you didn't grow up there. But like you didn't know it when it when all it was was like Crave Cafe. <laughs> <laughs> like you didn't know it and like But like did you go to the Topanga Mall after high school every day? That's but my question. Before the Target renovation or after exactly. the Target renovation? Were you there when they opened the Lucky Brand jeans? Did I you know, know where the Mervins was? <laughs> it was next to the hometown buffet. How many times did you ask your mom to take you to the Best Buy on Victory? <laughs> How many times <laughs> did you PM? want to go to the Blockbuster <laughs> on Canoga? 
<laughs> that's the only good one. That's my question. I want to know. How, are you still to this day surprised that there's a Home Depot and the Fallbrook strip mall? Because I am. It's always been there, but I always forget. Was Brad P. <laughs> Sherman at your church handing out combs? I don't think so. <laughs> and the gag was... He had no hair. <laughs> this is all to say that the valley is like a very specific animal. It is some. It, I would I would classify it as a guinea pig wearing a sombrero, <laughs> uh, drinking a four loco. <laughs> and like, I really think Paul Thomas Anderson just fucking nailed it nails it nails he it. nails it without doing it in like an in-your-face way because yeah. it is very much just like the background but it's all these recognizable spots it's fucking incredible if you're from the valley paul thomas anderson movies are literally just like valley you're porn. just all you're gonna be doing is pointing out all the spots be like ha you're like i'm in there i'm in there i did this there i had my first xyz there Every, oh look at that that's across the street from my church i, I don't know why i adopted a southern accent I'm I mean, it might as well be the Wild West. It might as well be. <laughs> Seriously. Surprise, There Will Be Blood was actually set in the valley. In the valley. It wasn't. It was set There's in Long Beach. There's oil in Canoga Park. <laughs> it was in California, though. <laughs> True. True. So I'm anyway, just saying. Boogie Nights. Um, right off the bat, like, so Boogie Nights is in my top five fave films. I would say it's my like most favorite filmy film of all time. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And the opening shot of Boogie Nights, I think might be my favorite opening shot in all of cinema. Oh yeah. Because it's that really long continuous shot oh, outside creamy. going through the valley. You see all the neon signs at night, which like, again, if you're from the valley and I hate feeling, I hate feeling like exclusionary, but it, come on, we're from the Valley. So we have to talk about it. It wouldn't a baby. The, the, the whole, like the Valley at night with all the neon signs is like a very distinct vibe. Yeah. And so that's what you get immediately. And then it's like outside the club and then it goes inside the club and through the dance floor and you see all the people and you see them sitting down and it's fucking incredible. It's just, it's such a long shot. I don't know if it's one take, I doubt it, but it looks like it is. And it's it's the perfect introduction because it's like you're literally being sucked into a world and then you just like sit down and watch but you feel like you're in it it's it's incredible how he does it's that too good i was telling jessica earlier because we were talking about how much we love like his like, like what he can do with a camera because mm -hmm. usually he'll take over the cinematography <laughs> yeah he does he has a cinematographer named robert elswit who's like does most of his movies who's fucking amazing. who's brilliant who's brilliant but yeah. like sometimes he'll leave for like long <laughs> periods of time and pta will just be like i'll do it i'll just do it myself um so uh anyway he like he whips that camera around mm -hmm. uh so beautifully so beautifully and that i think is where he like his style lends itself really well to music yeah. videos um there's a similar tracking rhythm. feel yeah like he really knows how to like this sounds so bad he really knows how to like subtly follow someone yeah he does he knows <laughs> how to like feel a scene he knows how to camera. stalk people yeah yeah it's interesting it's so it's so bananas and also like uh sort of back to our point about the san fernando valley but i think that that this kind of lives on its own with specifically this film is the massive sense of nostalgia mm -hmm. because we're talking about a few different things here right so we're talking about the san fernando valley during this time uh -huh. with these people feeling this way right in this era 
And then we're also talking about the golden age of porn, which was right. completely like a completely different layer in this like Paul Thomas Anderson sponge cake. Yeah. Well, and also like, I, I think it's important for listeners to know that like, cause I didn't know this either. When I first saw Boogie Nights, I only found it out after the first time I watched it, but like porn wasn't always, I guess like what it is now. No. I mean, obviously, but in this era, in the seventies, going into the eighties, porn production companies and directors, they were like filmmakers. They like wanted, they to, wanted make to make good films. products. Like they yeah. wanted to make something that they were proud of telling yes. other people that they had made. Mm-hmm. And so like <laughs> porn films had like backstories mm-hmm. and other characters <laughs> and extras and <laughs> and like a real plot and like character arcs. Oh, and it and was, like, or they would be like a series where they had recurring characters who came yeah. back from multiple films. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it was like this whole thing. And that's kind of why they call it the golden age of porn because a lot of it was these filmmakers that were in the film industry that decided Mm -hmm. to go into um like they would call them like exotic films or like you know pornographic films or whatever and they started making these films and showing them in these in these cinema houses that were eventually dubbed you know porn houses but they were cinema houses they were and you could beverly is one of them yeah and you could buy a (laughs) ticket and go inside and watch the film and they had fans like they had fans that would know the director's names and know the actor's names and like follow their careers and follow their movies and they would get interviewed like it was a very different scene yeah. than it is now which i'm not entirely certain certain what <laughs> the porn industry is is it an even you know, in industry I, I, yes but i don't know enough about it i don't know anything about it but i will say not to like sidebar too much, sure. but if there, if you are curious, the only knowledge I have of like the current pornography industry is through um, Rashida Jones created a, a series of uh, documentary films and um, like a TV series mm-hmm. called Hot Girls Wanted. It, um, I think you can find them on Netflix, um, but I would watch them just if you're if you're curious about what is because even that's a little outdated and that was only made like what like five seven years ago yeah there's also a podcast series um called the butterfly effect that's specifically about the valley porn industry that's yeah. really fascinating and like the whole like porn hub buying it up and et cetera, et cetera, yeah. and take like knocking out porn filmmakers and yeah that is, so we're talking about like an entire facet of films of cinema that is dead now yeah right so that's kind of why I'm focusing a little bit more on it because it's something that is, that used to be an entire section of the film industry that is no longer there. Totally. It's like we lost our arm. I mean, it kind of is. I I mean, there are famous film actors from that time, famous porn actors. I mean, from that time who are still famous, but I don't know of like, I know maybe like one current famous pornographer i don't know anyone (laughs) so uh, but but you read about these people and you read about this time period and you think to yourself like this was a whole fucking leg of the film industry yeah in fact the money made from these films often went into making other films that weren't pornographic in nature and like adult filmmakers made really good money back then because it was all private and it was uh, it was run basically like a movie studio yeah so this movie is like super nostalgic period but then it's also nostalgic for this time. But then time passes like within the movie 
and it i think it spans like 10 years probably a little less but just it about goes into the 80s yeah and you see like the repercussions of a lot of the things that were happening at the beginning of the movie and then you become nostalgic for what was the beginning of the movie as well so it's lots of layers of nostalgia and he does a really really beautiful job of like displaying the passage of time i i've always admired that about paul thomas anderson's filmmaking the way that he shows time passing and um i guess like growth and movement of a story without like needing to hold your hand through it yeah uh, i really love that about him as well he really trusts his audience he does he really does because if you don't know anything about this you know we've been explaining <laughs> we've been very shittily explaining to you the golden age of porn <laughs> and um if you don't know anything you're still totally entranced by it in yeah. the same way that people from that era were entranced by it and i think he he has that like sweet nostalgia button that you know the the little button that he fills that he fills your brain with mm -hmm. um and i think that as far as this movie is concerned he very easily slides from like real life uh -huh. into fantasy world yeah which for him and for the characters in this movie is the making and benefits mm -hmm. of what they're doing so like right. the creation and the benefits of what they're doing but then when you sort of stop and hold your breath for a second and you like finally like sort of realize alongside the characters like what's actually happening and like what you know the white soft underbelly of everything <laughs> is then you sort of start to realize okay wow this sucks i hate being outside of that bubble right they must also hate being outside of that bubble. Yeah. And then you've got Mark Wahlberg fucking snorting cocaine. I, I genuinely, M Monica and I talked about this. Like, oh I think this might be Mark Wahlberg's only good movie. So, okay. <laughs> I fucking hate Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, I'm I not hate a fan. Everything he does, I hate. I don't think he's, he can act. Like, I, no. I genuinely am just sitting here, like, I do not have a kind thing to say about Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> Even his fucking burger restaurant burgers Wahlburger, not good not good like everything he does not good and also like him revamping the transformers movies don't yeah, no. i don't want it no thank you i don't want it i don't want his his movie ted i don't want that <laughs> i don't want anything that he has to offer sure. i don't even want him as marky mark and the funky bunch i do not want him <laughs> in my life but but he is so good in boogie nights oh my god it's so good because the the fucking ego on this motherfucker the ego and also like the belief in his own messiahism yes. like the belief that he is a big bright shining star a, I'm, I'm i'm a big star i'm a big bright shining star be a star a big bright shining star uh yes the belief that he is like the chosen one yeah that he is fucking neo from the matrix like this is what carries him through to the end of this movie this is why he's still alive yep at the end of this movie this is why he isn't in jail at the end of this movie and this is why he's still doing what he loves at the end of this movie is because he believes without a shadow of a fucking doubt that he is god's gift to mankind god's gift to porn more god's gift to porn and he is going to reign supreme in the end like oh, yeah. one he day he legit thinks he's gonna change the world yeah. with his dick like it's incredible he he, <laughs> he has this line in the movie where he's like everyone has their one special thing their one special thing to offer i have my one special thing and, and he gestures towards talking his about his dick unusually large penis yep yep 
Like that's the whole gimmick. And it kind of, I love that PTA treats it almost like he treats it like what's in the suitcase in Pulp Fiction almost. A, yes. <laughs> Except in Pulp Fiction, you never get to see it. In in uh, Boogie Nights, you do see Mark Wahlberg's dick at the at very end. And it, it is, is a prosthetic. And you just, I found myself just laughing out loud so hard. Yes. I was so, and it was so impactful that way because they don't show you, they purposefully do not show you his dick the entire movie yeah. until the end. And it, it's obviously, it is, okay, again, it is so obviously a prosthetic. It looks nothing like a real penis. No. It it, it just doesn't. It is so laughable. Like it is so fucking funny. <laughs> and it just goes to show you like the message of the movie and like all about how toxic masculinity is and how like literally like girl bossing too close to the sun. <laughs> like just being so wrapped up in your own bullshit that you forget about the people around you. You forget about the people that make you feel good. You forget about like your responsibility to other people, to yourself. Like you forget about all that shit and there's the penis. Yep. And it's literally slaps you in the face. Yep. Because it's so fucking big. Because it's so big and you're like, okay. I get it, Paul. I get we, it. We get it. We get it, Paul. <laughs> Paul Thomas. <laughs> I think with Boogie Nights, because it was only his second movie, we definitely have to at least mention like how he he established a lot of his signatures in this movie. Yeah. Like obviously the Valley is one of his signatures, period. The Valley. Um, working with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. Working Ugh. with these specific actors and like this many following multiple storylines at the same time and very much interweaving them in a kind of like ensemble cast way. Yeah. Because yes, this movie is about Mark Wahlberg, but it's also very much about like Julianne Moore and it's yeah. very much about Burt Reynolds. Yeah. And also like Paul Thomas Anderson fucking knows how to cast a movie. That like, motherfucker. <laughs> I like, I genuinely don't think the man has ever missed I, I'm obsessed with he every ate. person he's cast in every movie he's made. Honestly. Like, but specifically in this movie, I think like Julianne Moore fucking blows it out of the fucking water. The way that woman looks into a camera kills me. Oh God. And Philip Seymour Hoffman in this movie is also heartbreaking. <sighs> and Monica and I were talking about it before the podcast. We were just like, I we don't know. How does this man do what he did? It's did. hard because like, oh God. Rest easy, Big Papa. Rest, seriously. Um, He, and don't worry, friends, we will do an episode on him soon. Yes. Um, The way that he delivers and the way that he, honestly, the, the only word to describe it is transcends. Right. Any, like all things. He becomes this just like blob of energy mm-hmm. in a film that is so raw yeah. and so real that you're just sitting there like, Am I in this movie? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But it only happens with Philip Seymour Hoffman in this movie. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen with anyone else. Like you're not sitting there like you're chilling with a friend who's like fucking it up in front of, in front of Mark Wahlberg's character (laughs) trying to like come at him. Like you feel the secondhand embarrassment from your friend. Yes. That you know. Yes. Intimately. Yes. (laughs) And it is just so beautiful to watch him in this movie because he is like the heart of this movie. Yeah. He's the, in like he's a the, weird way. Yeah. He's not the main storyline, no. but like he is. He's like the insecure heart of uh-huh. this movie. Yeah, totally. Uh, and he is like the one that can't fully be himself, mm-hmm. even though 
everyone else around him is being completely vulnerable. Even in, within fucking porn, Ugh. you can't just be yourself, which I mean, it's it's considered taboo now, but it was also really taboo then. And it's like, everyone has everything literally exposed, but he can't. But he can't have the one thing yeah. that makes him him exactly exposed. It's yeah. just, he can't be vulnerable in the same way everyone else it's can. It's crazy, and it's so sad. Just so sad. It's so sad. Uh, the, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, really, I mean, he's a very gifted filmmaker, period, but like his writing skills really are just unbelievable because I think some people look at his movies at first glance and they're just like, oh, well, they're so big and like he's not focusing on any one thing, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, do you know how fucking hard it is to write that many characters and make them distinct it's with their horrible. own voice? Have you seen Magnolia? <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> there's so many characters. It's, there's so many characters in all of his movies, most of them. <laughs> um, and they all, like I said, have very, very distinct voices and very distinct storylines and like, I love how he always circles them back at the end. And I, I just, I never feel like let down by a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Guys, Daniel D. Lewis doesn't say yes to anyone. <laughs> Truth. So that should be an indicator yeah. as to how fucking good of a writer he is. Of a writer he is. Yeah. Because Daniel Day fucking Lewis said yes to him twice. <laughs> True. <laughs> He said, I'm going to read your shit. <laughs> and I think it's got, I think it's got legs. I think it's got legs. <laughs> I'm going to leave my shoes and go with you. Um, yeah. Oh, man. I oh, love Boogie Nights. That's Boogie Nights. They're like, okay, Boogie Nights is one of those movies where I have so much to say about too much. it. I have too like, much to say. I this is a movie I would love to do like a, like a live of oh yeah or we just watch it and say what i love well this is the year that we're going to be doing a live uh podcast pending event. covid goes pending away. covid but hopefully we'll be doing it it will be in california eh? no we're not going to like texas like everyone else no we're not flying there no i don't fly wait i have one more point i'm sorry no please this uh, back to the, my point about how he was like setting up his signatures this is also very much the first i mean because a lot of people saw his first movie but this is his first big movie um like music and soundtrack oh fucking yeah. huge to paul thomas massive Anderson. his soundtracks are fire are, are iconic fire the boogie night soundtrack is iconic um the score to this movie is incredible the score to all of his movies amazing so good. um and i have a real bone to pick about the one for there will be blood but we'll get there. I too. I don't know. That, we'll, we'll we'll get into it in a second. But um, sort of to to bunny hop on your point. Yeah. I very much think that that has a lot to do with the fact that he grew up in the valley. Yes. Um, because like you're surrounded by so many different styles of music, and like there were the valley garage bands that like all passed through, and like if you ever went to like house shows, and like all those bands are like now big, and you're wondering like, man, that pimply kid on guitar, I guess he's like famous now, and everyone was fucking bumping music. You've got Laurel Canyon, y'all. You've got Laurel fucking canyon where all the musicians lived and gathered and made their fucking music and did drugs and, and did drugs with charles manson <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> on like, drugs like you cannot live in the valley and not appreciate like yeah. all different kinds of music and like love a specific era of music which has not gone away right. i have listened to the same 10 songs this is more specific to my experience, but I have listened to the same 10 songs on repeat at every quinceañera ever. 
It's the same songs. Yeah. They don't change. It's real. It's a time. I'm telling you, the value is a time capsule. capsule. You cannot leave it unless you leave it. Now I feel nostalgic for the valley. Oh man, but I only feel nostalgic for the valley that was good. There's so many horrible things. I know there's so many fucking awful things about the valley. Like if you grew up there, you know what the fuck I'm talking about. Guys, did you know it gets to be like 120 degrees in the valley in the summertime? It's It's too much. Do you know that it like catches on fire every five fucking seconds? You're choking on the fire. You're like playing handball and you're choking on the ash. I don't think like, it's funny when I tell people who did not grow up in California period, but like when they're like, we don't have snow days here. We have fire days. Yeah. We're like, you can't go to school because there's fire. You can't go outside because there's fire. (laughs) You cannot do anything. There's too much ash to go to marching band practice. People have air purifiers in their classrooms. Yes. Because it's like the only way. (laughs) Also like, it's so weird that people don't like have outside campuses. I know. Isn't that weird? Yeah, like, it's weird to me, but it's the norm everywhere else. It's, it's apparently the norm that it's like everything's encased, but like in specifically the Valley and I guess mostly California, California yeah. uh, everything's like out in the open. A bitch could walk up to your school. Yeah, <laughs> just walk right in. Just walk right in, <laughs> into the door <laughs> from like Satakoy, just right on the, right in your school. <laughs> oh my god <sighs> so that was boogie nights i have so much stuff to say about it to be honest i just there's so many scenes i want to point to there there's are so too many, many little characters things. i want to point to john's i have a whole thing about john c Riley. i have a he, whole he's incredible essay about john c Riley yes. and his contribution to this fucking also, film alfred molina's contribution alfred. to this Fucking Molina. The fucking firecrackers. Paul Thomas Anderson, what were you smoking when you chose to have this fucking character (laughs) of just this Chinese man in the back fucking throwing firecrackers? That's all he does. It's brilliant. It's so... It's so jarring. The anxiety that he creates on a screen. It's the chaotic energy. It's so good. He's like, I want everyone to suffer in the same way I suffer. This scene, the scene with Alfred Molina feels the way the entirety of Uncut Gems feels, but isolated to yes. a single scene. Oh God. Uh, t- two for two references to oh, Uncut seriously, Gems. Seriously. Wow. Uh, I got to rewatch Perfect. that movie. Yeah. Um. Anyway, a brilliant film, brilliant. like literally- I, I think we should do this. Um, and the reason why I'm going to say it out loud is to have some accountability uh-huh. is I think we should make like top 100 movies of all time. For but us. like for us. Okay. Like what we believe Boogie Nights be. for sure goes on it. Oh yeah. Boogie Nights is on that fucking. Yeah. That's why I'm saying it. Cause Boogie yeah. Nights is on that list. Yeah. There will be blood is not on that list for me. Oh, it's on that list for me. But <laughs> maybe okay. it's like towards the end. <laughs> After dodgeball. Monica and I have different opinions about this film. <laughs> It's okay. Monica, tell us about the next film. Oh, will I? There Will Be Blood came out in 2007, written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, loosely based on the 1927 novel Oil by Upton (laughs) Sinclair. And yes, the reason why I say oil is because it's oil with an exclamation exclamation point, point. similar to how you pronounce mother. Ruthless silver miner turned oil prospector Daniel Plainview, played by Daniel Day-Lewis, moves to oil-rich California, using his adopted son, H.W., to project a trustworthy family man image. Plainview cons local landowners into selling him their valuable properties for a pittance. However, local preacher Eli Sunday, played by the brilliant Paul Dano, suspects 
Plainview's motives and intentions, starting a slow-burning feud that threatens both their lives. <sighs> this movie is crazy. This movie—it's an epic. It's an epic. It's like, an epic. But that—but that's the thing. I really think that all of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies are epics or like opuses in a way because they really are like he focuses on a very specific time and a very specific feeling and then gives you like, he just gives you a fuck ton of it over and spans years with it. And he does that with most of his movies. And I don't know, he just, he really knows how to build an entire world, but he's like, he's a different kind of world builder, you know? Like yeah. he's not like a Guillermo del Toro world builder where it's like a fictional world or a world we've never seen before. Paul Thomas Anderson builds the worlds of a different time that did exist, but that we have never experienced. And we've always wanted And we've to always experience. wanted to, or we've always been curious about it. And we get to experience it so fully in his movies. Like it's kind of insane how transported you are by his films. And this is no exception. Yeah, and because he writes all of his own movies, a lot of the characters are really rich mm -hmm. and all all of their motivations are, but but all of their motivations are really really genuine and like yeah. raw and yeah. all rooted in like how stupid humans are. Yes. <laughs> like all rooted in Human the fact flaws that like errors. yeah. Like this oil tycoon Daniel Plainview he is pretty much just motivated by like, I want to be the very best mm -hmm. that no one ever was. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, Pokemon. Like that's his, <laughs> that's literally what drives him and yeah. why he's so fucking ruthless. Mm -hmm. um, which personally, like I, sometimes I'm like, mm, you know, it gets a little bit boring to see like an asshole man trying to like gain power. But in this case, like his ruthlessness is so genuine and comes from a place of like, I really just want to get to the fucking top yeah. and I want to burn everyone in my fucking way. Well, and he does have like peaks and valleys slash there. Like it is a really nuanced portrayal of greed. I think like there are things you wouldn't expect. Like I, I think of that scene where um, Paul Dano gets him to go to the services and he makes him get down on his knees and he says like, I abandoned my son, I abandoned my son. And he's screaming. Yeah. And you're like, yes, Daniel Plainview absolutely is using his son 100%, but I don't think he doesn't love his son. And I don't think he doesn't realize that he abandoned his fucking son, but I don't think he has any remorse for it. No. And so there are, there are lots of, lots of nuances within this performance. And like towards the end when it flashes forward into the future, um, and he's talking to his like adult son. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot of rich shit going on there. Yeah. And I think that um, in the writing, there is so much, there's so much, so many complexities mm -hmm. that you have to deal with, that you would deal with on a day-to-day -day, day -day basis as a human being, right. right? Like, you know certain people for certain things and you know other people for other things. And like, you, the friendships that you have are really like complicated and nuanced. And like, you know not to say these things to these people, but you say those things to other people. And like, sometimes you kind of like, try to like, get yourself out of a web of of trying to bring like a lot of people together right and like having to account for all of their different personalities and like mm -hmm. who you are with them and i think that paul thomas anderson does a really good job of like acknowledging and also showcasing the complexity that is the human relationship yes and also the human relationship to multiple people mm -hmm. like he his movies never focus on just like 
a couple people mostly like he focuses on a couple people as like the main characters Mm -hmm. but everyone else is equally as like rich and diverse in backstory and motivation and they play really large parts in his movies Mm -hmm. like jessica was talking about earlier it's very love actually (laughs) okay yeah (laughs) but like really good love actually where they all know each other (laughs) (laughs) where they're all a part of the same story Where, where it's all the same story and they don't just so like really the only similarity is that they have multiple stories. Exactly. Got it, got exactly. It, got it. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I think the biggest thing to note about there will be blood is that it's like very clearly a deviation from all of his work that preceded it. Like so fucking random it's not to say that paul thomas anderson makes like happy movies but he makes movies that have a like lighter nostalgic feel that they have like beautiful soundtracks and you know there's like there's something jovial about them even if they're not like joyous movies this movie this is a fucking gnarly man grisly this film. movie is about the greed and the literal bloodshed <laughs> literally blood that came from the oil business in california i mean in the nation but specifically california and it is fucking ruthless take no prisoners it's disgusting and gnarly and violent and this movie is also very rooted in historical accuracy. Oh yeah. And this is how these motherfuckers behave. He had to do a lot of work (laughs) to write this script. And it's, this is where he, he said like, I can make darker films. I can make films that more people perceive as like filmy films. Um, And he, he continued this trend where like the phantom thread goes in there. The master goes in there. Inherent Vice goes in that same camp. Oh, Inherent Vice. Um, all of those movies are kind of in the same. He he like operates on two planes. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's like on the dark. Side oh my god, of his plane. he's like light academia and dark academia. <laughs> yes, exactly. That, those are his two vibes. Like you know, how he has two vibes, and that's literally it. Yes. yes. Um, in this movie, however, I think that there is a relentless sense Mm -hmm. of no regret like no one in this movie feels any remorse any regret especially daniel day lewis's character conveniently also named daniel (laughs) um Mm -hmm. there is no regret here the only regret is that there wasn't more money to be made yeah like the only regret is that they couldn't be doing more to fucking squash their enemies Mm -hmm. and it's funny because i was talking to jessica earlier today about um the SNL sketch with Adam driver as the oil baron, <laughs> as the oil baron how yeah. he literally cannot describe his job other than like crushing his enemies <laughs> because that's true. It's yeah. factual. And I think because a lot of it is like, let's get the brown liquid out of the ground mm-hmm. <laughs> and sell it at whatever cost, at all costs, <laughs> many of which are human lives, uh, mostly human lives. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Human lives, the environment, wh- Oh. replaceable things clearly <laughs> clearly things clearly. we can get back jesus <laughs> so so yeah i love that there's this like sweeping sense of no regret mm-hmm. other than well regret regrettably sir there yeah. was no more money to be made yeah. so um 
that is something that I love about this film and I love about a lot of his other films is it's rooted in like one central theme. Yeah. And in this one is like fucking no regrets, fucking ruthlessness, fucking do it all until it's done and there's nothing left on the ground. Yeah. Like let the dust settle and let there be no lively ones. Yeah. But like what I appreciate the most about that is that it's incredibly honest, first of all, but then he also like towards the end of the movie forces you as the audience to kind of look at yourself and face your own hypocrisy in a way, because in this time specifically, there was no righteous path to success. Like if you wanted money, you had to do some dirty shit. And Paul Dano is portrayed as like the foil to Daniel Day-Lewis. Yes. And he's supposed to be like, he's God fearing. He's a preacher. He's running a church. He's looking out for the poor people of these towns that that Daniel Day-Lewis is trying to take their land from. But he's only doing that so that he can turn around and like, not blackmail, but like get Daniel Day-Lewis to let him profit off of what he has done as well. His oil. (laughs) Off of his oil. And he himself is a charlatan because he's claiming he can do miracles, et cetera. And he fucking can't. So it's all, it's all a ruse. And towards the end, at the end of the movie, the final scene in the bowling alley, which is like the absolute iconic moment. It's the scene. It is the, it's the milkshake scene, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I drink your milkshake. (laughs) I drink drink it up. up. But that is where Paul Thomas Anderson is saying like, hey, audience, look at yourself. If you thought Paul Dano was any better than Daniel Day-Lewis, you're fucking wrong. Just because you have a supposed like path of righteousness that other people see as more righteous doesn't mean you're any different. You're just everyone in this movie as just as awful as the next person. And like you almost in the end have not sympathy, but like, understanding you have understanding for daniel day lewis because you're like what the fuck else was he supposed to do just sit on his ass and be a farmer no dog (laughs) it's again no once again we see him girl girl bossing too close to the sun precisely precisely and it's it's heartbreaking because he has that conversation with his adopted son at the end where he Mm. tells him that he's adopted and it's weird because he's saying terrible things to him he's saying you know like you have none of me in you which in that moment is supposed to be an insult but in a twisted way it's like that's the kindest thing he could have ever done for his child that was like an act of love in a way was reassuring him that he had none of him that he was nothing like him exactly and so you're like this is how fucking twisted this society is and like things are still like this like this is not isolated to the early 1900s. No, and it's funny because um, the one, so it is not a secret. I This is not like my favorite movie in the world. Right. I don't love period pieces like this. I don't love like, also like when a movie has like a lack of women in it, sure. it's yeah. not my favorite. If it's not like a stoner comedy, I'm not gonna watch it. Like <laughs> I, I, I need, I need, I need women in, in films for me to like become attached to them. Or I need like, I, I just need more than this film, but this film is exactly what it needed to be. Yeah. But the one thing I will say about this film that I fucking love is it's just a giant commentary on capitalism. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it, it's a great movie to show to people if you want them to understand what you mean when you say like no one 
no one benefits from capitalism like truly it's not meant for everyone to be successful it's not meant for everyone to like have a home and Mm -hmm. insurance and and, like to live and breathe and like exist in a society like it's meant to tear down society and make rich people even richer Mm -hmm. so in a lot of ways and like in a lot of ways this movie sort of like breaks that concept down into into a way that makes it really easily digestible for people but not in a way where he doesn't trust his audience and just like makes it fucking black and white he's like let me take you on this two and a half hour journey Uh (laughs) of why no one is better than anyone in this system yeah and why this era is no better than what's going on today yeah with like technology or um I don't, I don't know. I don't know how the world works. <laughs> what what are pe- what are people trying to sell these days? What is the equivalent of oil? Space juice? Probably still oil. Probably still oil. Maybe like I don't know. Like I have all of the Teslas in the world. <laughs> Bitcoin. It's oh yes, bit cryptocurrency. Crypto. <laughs> I hate twenty twenty two. Oh god. Fuck. What is this world that we live in? But do you know what I mean? Like no, I know what you mean. It's really great. I think that he does it in a really lovely way. And I love it when people break concepts down like that. Yeah. And give like a really honest commentary on something in a very unique way. Like this is such an incredible period piece. It's done so well. And it's <laughs> these bitches be acting their asses off. Yeah. I, I, this really is an example of one of those movies where like, I, I mean, I firmly believe this is like one of the best films ever made. It won all of the awards that year. It, it was a huge film and I think it's deeply important within cinema, but I do, I think it's a perfect example of a movie where like, it is not enjoyable all the time to sit through all two and a half hours of it, no. but it is a deeply important and good movie. It's, it's the weird thing where it's like, yes, it's a good movie. Is it a fun movie? No, no. <laughs> it's almost like if, if this movie was created today, it uh-huh. would be released as like a limited series. Probably. Yeah. Like, maybe like a five episode limited series or something where like each episode is like 45 minutes long because this movie to watch from beginning to end, it makes you feel so much. It's a lot. (laughs) Like it's a lot to, it's a lot to take on because it makes you really like, like we were saying, it just makes you really reflect on how today works and how we're really not that much further Mm -hmm. from these oil bitches. Oil bitches. We be oil bitches today. Yes. This is us. (laughs) Where's your oil? (laughs) There's oil in them there hills. There's oil in them there hills. (laughs) How long have we been on this rock? Now we will move to the final film. The film that brought us here, Monica, you might say. The one and only. (laughs) Um, That would be Licorice Pizza. Came out in 2021, written and directed by... uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Yuck. Licorice Pizza is the story of Alana Kane, played by Alana Heim, and Gary Valentine, played by Cooper Hoffman, growing up, running around, and falling in love in the San Fernando Valley in 1973. Yes, that is the whole synopsis. That's that's all we have. It's a really new movie, guys. It's br- it's brand fucking new. It came out on Christmas. Um, if you have the, sh- I know Omicron is scary right now. 
Please don't go to the movie theater if you don't if you uh if if it's bad. I know in some yeah, places it's not. It's really not. Yeah. Um it's starting to get it's starting to get dicey here in Los in Angeles. LA, but we were able to see it um a while ago. prior to that. Yeah. Yeah. I saw it in December um and then Monica and I saw it again recently in theaters both times. If you have the chance and it's safe for you to do so, absolutely go see this movie. It's definitely meant for the theater. It's so meant for the theater. It's very colorful, it's very beautiful, it's yeah. beautifully shot. Um, and it, it demands it demands your sticky popcorn hands. Yeah, this is where I agree with the film bros of like there is something to a cinematic release. Yeah, for certain things. Yeah, and this is definitely one of them. I still prefer to like not go anywhere. Um, right. I like I just I just want to be home all the time. But yeah. yes, I agree. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Um. Oh my god, licorice pizza. Let's okay. start. Let's start with the name, licorice pizza. Yeah. Okay. Uh, go for it. If you didn't know. Um, to our listeners, it was actually a famous Southern California record store uh, that existed in the late seventies and eighties called Licorice Pizza. Um, it they called records Licorice Pizza because they look like like pizzas made of licorice. Literally, pizzas made of like black licorice. Which, mm-hmm. if you look at a vinyl, yeah, she she do be looking like she that. She do be looking like a licorice pizza. She do be looking like a licorice picotti. <laughs> so, uh, so that's one thing. PTA has also been interviewed uh saying that he he calls it licorice pizza because you know he likes licorice and also pizza is like nostalgic so <laughs> you know that, that yeah that, there's a lot of arguments you could make for the title of the movie lots um but yeah i think the thing that it lends to the movie though is just nostalgia which is part of his part of his mark really. yeah and it's also like kind of sweet and nostalgic it's an odd pair this and it's an odd pair which just like the couple in this movie and this it's it it is by far his lightest film oh yeah by far (laughs) um this movie has i very little darkness in it um it it just was such a joy to watch like honestly it is one of it's it had I haven't seen a lot of films in the past few years that have made me feel joy the way that this movie has. Yeah, which is really sad to say. (laughs) (laughs) I think like, I think if I had to choose like a favorite movie of 2021, it would have to be Come On, Come On. But I think Licorice Pizza is a close second for me. Yeah. For sure. Um, I think that Licorice Pizza offers a lot that we've been missing lately Mm -hmm. in film. Um, And that is something both nostalgic and novel right like i think that introducing these two characters introducing these two actors who are not really previously actors (laughs) not not even slightly this is both of their first roles this is both of their first fucking film like that's and that's what i mean the the juxtaposition of something that is really nostalgic Mm -hmm. right so like 70s uh san fernando valley (laughs) the gas crisis (laughs) exactly um and uh these two brand new faces on the scene that yeah. we've never seen before that bring this like really fresh perspective and this raw existence yeah. to the movie. I think that them just showing up as themselves and then kind of like building the characters upon that, I think mm-hmm. really adds to how just like how warm this movie is. I yeah. think. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think Monica and I automatically have to talk about like the big, the big thing. Oh yeah, that's happening with this movie. This is the big thing. So, if you know what, if you know what we're talking about, though, and you pr- prefer not to listen to us sure. talk about it, you can just skip ahead. 
I do think we have valid points though. Oh, I think we also have valid points. I would implore you to at least hear the points. Hear the points and then skip ahead. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, okay. So in the movie, Cooper Hoffman, uh, Gary Valentine is, he's supposed to be 15. He's also the son of uh, the late- Philip Seymour Hoffman. Philip yes. Seymour Hoffman. Correct, correct. And Chris Easy Pop. Oof, man. You see his face <laughs> in that child and Cooper Hoffman is a brilliant- young actor i hope he keeps acting he's so talented so he has talented. that raw talent from his papa yeah it's just you see so much of philip in this movie and and uh, again automatically you get this sense of nostalgia mm-hmm. with the added twist and bonus of novelty yeah. that is this new face that's not quite the old one yeah but a a new generation yeah you know exactly oh god so he's supposed to be 15 and then alana played by alana heim of, of- band Heim, Heim. <laughs> who uh Paul Thomas Anderson has directed many of their uh music videos nine nine of nine them. of their music she videos. has never acted once in her life and no. let me tell you I didn't want her to be good I don't think anyone wanted her to be good she was really fucking good she was brilliant and you know Monica and I are the first people to say someone's awful she <laughs> she was literally a breath of fresh air so, a stun stunning performance stunning so oh amazing uh. but anyway she's supposed to be 25 so there's a 10 year age difference. Um, and I have seen a lot of shit on the internet, on Instagram, et cetera, uh, about how this movie is promoting pedophilia and this movie is an abomination and like it's it, promoting grooming. Yes. And, grooming. That's what it was. Et cetera, et cetera. And I just, I am not trying to minimize those as like things that actually happen and that movies have promoted before, but I genuinely, genuinely do not think that Licorice Pizza is one of those movies. Monica, what is your opinion here? I completely agree. Now, I think that this kind of falls under the category of call me by your name's problem Mm -hmm. slash not problem with a lot of people. Yeah. Which is that they, that is also like not a consensual relationship because the the timothy he's, salami he's character he's, he's 17 yeah. yeah the the timothy salami character is 17 and the the other one the cannibals 24 yeah right the four. <laughs> so so we have the- <laughs> uh-huh <laughs> So we have this like issue of these two movies kind of like sparking the same conversations right. about these two relationships. <laughs> Except, Except the huge difference <laughs> that there was absolutely sex happening in Call Me By Your Name. A hundred percent. Which is a huge distinguishing factor. Not just sex, but like sexual things, period. Yeah, it's a very sexy movie. Correct. It's practically 50 Shades of Grey. Correct. Licorice Pizza, not, not. a sexual film. And I think the biggest issue arises is that in in that people are injecting sexuality and like projecting it onto an extremely innocent relationship and dynamic. Yes. When it has no place there. And that I find honestly more disturbing than any argument about this movie being <laughs> grooming, et cetera. You know? I think it's hard because- I think for a 15 year old boy uh-huh. to fall in love with and pursue a 25 plus right. year old woman is that's to me, 
is really common. A lot of young boys, a lot of like teenage boys, like mm-hmm. have the have like projected feelings of love yeah. onto a hot teacher, perhaps, mm-hmm. or the woman at the register of their local, you know, cafe, mm-hmm. whatever. And she's like thirty; they're fifteen he's like thinking about her in his dreams and being like, damn, I'm going to befriend her. And then one day I'm going to marry that bitch. Like very much so. So uh, to me, I think that it's, it feels very real in the way that like this 15 year old chump is absolutely going to fall in love with this girl because she's beautiful and stunning and she's hilarious. And she's like, like super down. She's a great driver. Like, of course he's going to fall in love with her Mm -hmm. and like him leading the charge of the pursuit feels really real to me. Like she would fucking never go for him (laughs) Like, on what fucking planet would she ever be the person to pursue a relationship with a 15 year old boy yeah that's not her i think her whole deal is that she's really lost Uh and the men her own age that she's dating treat her like shit or forget about her or use her and she's just constantly being used she's like floating around in space like not really existing yeah not really living kind of just there and like latching herself on to anything that makes her feel any semblance of like being alive. Yeah. Right. And I think that with her, and I really hesitate to call it a relationship with this boy, her friendship with this boy. It's a relationship in the sense that it's a, like it's a, it's a a friendship, it's a loving friendship in this like platonic friendship that she has with this boy that she like really admires and respects Mm -hmm. Because he has the balls to like go out and do what she wishes she could do, which is like something passionate with her life. And which none of the men who are pursuing her have do- are doing either. Yes, which the one man that she thinks in the movie, she starts, she begins volunteering for a congressman. Uh-huh. The one man that she thinks is like pursuing pas- something passionate and like living a life that she would want to live uh-huh. ends up using her exactly. and like using her as a publicity, like cover, yeah. um, cover slash deflection um, because he ends up being gay and like he has a partner and exactly. he's, you know, unfortunately treating that partner like really shittily exactly. by not allowing him to yeah. like be in his life. Uh, publicly but you know what i mean it's just it's very much hard for me to put a pin in any of it and like Mm -hmm. to say that like i don't think that this movie is black and white like that no i really don't i don't think that there's like any kind of weird sexual relationship going on between these two people i think it's like the circumstances of the bubble that they're in yeah yeah and i mean of course i understand that like issues like this are issues in real life. They are. And films yeah. push them too far sometimes. But I do think, first of all, we have to remember that filmmaking is storytelling and it's not all real. And I think that if we can't tell stories that we're slightly afraid of, then why have it be a medium? No. Um, we have to be able to tell stories that we are afraid of or that aren't necessarily 
our reality, et cetera. We have to be able to explore the gray because as much as I think a lot of people want to say that things are black and white, there is so much gray in the world. And I think that this is an area of gray, specifically when you remind yourself that nothing sexual happens in this movie. Everything sexual implied all comes from Gary's gaze upon Alana. The male gaze. Correct. Alana doesn't do shit. The only thing that happens that she does is he keeps being like, show me your boobs, show me your boobs. And she's like, no, I'm not going to show you my boobs. You're 15. And he's like, do it. And finally she's like, you want to see my fucking boobs? Fine. And she lifts her shirt and then he goes, can I touch them? And she slaps him in the face and leaves. Like, I I really don't think (laughs) that this is like a grooming scenario. And I, I have a really big problem with people assuming that like a loving relationship built between people. And I mean, loving in like a strictly like admiration. I am connected to you on like a soul level way, not like a sexual loving way. I think people saying that you can't have a loving relationship where you connect with somebody who isn't your same age is, is simply false, you know? Yeah, and I also like, I'm sorry, and this may be reading too much into um, uh, Gary Valentine's character, Mm -hmm. but he does not strike me as the kind of boy, because he's 15, Mm -hmm. um, he doesn't strike me as the kind of boy who would want to pursue a sexual relationship with Alana. I think that's something that A, would scare him, (laughs) B, he's not ready for, and C, all he ever wanted was to feel seen by her. Yeah. And when she finally like sees him as the person that he wants her to see him as, I have a really hard time believing as invested in the character as I am. I have a very hard time believing that he will pursue that any further. I literally believe that it stopped with her, like seeing him finally and like they share a kiss and then it is literally over. Like I don't see it continuing past that. Like they share a kiss and then they run away out of the pinball arcade and she's like i love you gary but it's in voiceover she doesn't say it to him no because i'm sure she recognizes that it's not appropriate yes but even if she had said it i think you can still fucking love somebody and not act on it exactly you know and not turn it into like a horrible horrible thing i just i and i I sent this to monica there was like an instagram caption that we both were like yeah this really sums up how we feel, how we feel about the movie. And it was talking about how like this movie is also talking about how like time is very much a wheel and how like we move in and out of each other's narratives and each other's lives in ways where we're important and then unimportant and we share love and affection and then we don't share love and affection. And I think to place so much negativity upon a point where these people have intersected is just I don't know. I think it's wrong. Personally, I'll take it even a notch down to put so much weight, yeah. right? Not even positive or negative, just weight significance. Period. Like yeah. putting any kind of significance on this literally insignificant relationship. Think about what the characters got out of each other, which yes. is really the only important thing, yes. which is that, um, Alana got confidence and self-assurance from Gary and like, the idea that she is more than just like this blob existing in the world. Like she can just fucking wake up one day and decide to open a pinball palace Mm -hmm. and she can follow through on that if she wants to. Correct. And she doesn't just have to like chill at, you know, be living at her parents' house and like take their bullshit and like not be a human being. Like she can be a fucking human being because 
this random ass 15 year old kid told her she could be exactly you know and i think putting any more significance on that like vice versa for for gary like she's just a girl mm-hmm. that he fancies that mm-hmm. i think he he wants to feel seen by because she's older because she is at the time someone really important to him and then she won't be yeah and then she'll be a memory and i think that's what's so great about paul town paul thomas anderson movies is like it will eventually all be a memory and that's what makes the movie itself so nostalgic yeah is like you're almost like in encapsulated in a memory of the main characters and that's why i again i find a hard time believing that anything will go past the end of that movie like i literally believe she'll like move away to like a big city or something right and start pursuing her real life Mm -hmm. because that is what she needed to get out of gary and she moves on and then gary will get what he needed to get out of alana and move on right and that is where the buck stops for me yeah yeah and even, even, but like, even if that wasn't the case, I, I don't know. I, I just, I think to think that like respect and love and beauty and humanity and like feeling seen to think that all of those things are exclusive to an age range is silly. It is silly. And it's not acknowledging like the nuances of life and love and all that they entail. Yeah. So I think that for this movie specifically they are moving in and out of each other's lives Uh and at certain points they're important to each other and others they're not yeah and i think that for us to put any kind of weight on that is really silly Mm -hmm. like for us to put any kind of weight on their insignificance and significance to each other in a movie where absolutely nothing sexual happens yeah that's like both parties are like yeah we're really into it like let's do this yes like that doesn't happen (laughs) aside from some boobies being shown the sexual Um, chemistry is stronger with him and that random chick who he like lays on a waterbed with the one who looks like olivia rodrigo yes (laughs) the one with the long reddish hair yes yes their sexual tension is off the chain yes (laughs) put him and alana like no No. (laughs) so i think that if I saw this relationship in real life, uh-huh. like if someone told me in a vacuum, like, hey, there's a 15-year-old boy and a 25-year-old woman and they're in a relationship, my immediate thought would be, that is not right. Correct. Like the woman is taking advantage of him or, you know, if you wanted to flip flop the genders or mm-hmm. or have them not even be gendered. Like, yet someone who is an adult is taking advantage of someone who is not. Mm-hmm. However that is in a vacuum and that is like in real life this is a movie mm-hmm. and they are for us to put any kind of significance on like what they are to each other right I, I don't get it and when you add on top of it that like gary is not just any normal child no fool he's a child actor he's frankie whatever from malcolm in the middle he's a child actor his parents are never around like his mom works for him he is the one who takes his younger brother to dinner every night like he's this tiny adult and i'm not like discounting his age but like you know what i mean there there is gray when it comes to like he life has experiences like this weird mentality about himself exactly. that he's like a businessman and like an entrepreneur and a famous actor and he's like i am all these things therefore i need a woman yeah and i'm gonna pursue her endlessly (laughs) and she's like no you little piece of shit like i don't want to be with you exactly (laughs) 
Anyway. Anywho. We have to actually tell you a, like a couple thoughts about the movie itself. Maybe one or two. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> this is such a fresh film. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of my thoughts on the film were wrapped up in that argument, but essentially like- it's just a it's a stunning movie. It's incredibly funny. I think it's another one of those things where like PTA loves fucking nostalgia and like I could have hung out in this world with these people for hours and I would have had a great time. I just I just loved it so much. You can tell how much he aches for this time. And it comes across in such a loving way that I just like, I I felt like this movie was like hugging me. Yeah. It was amazing. And I think like, because this movie was set in specifically that time period, Mm -hmm. um, there are multiple scenes where um, a character is talking to his various wives in a a horrific uh yes. japanese accent correct he's a white man he is a white man um and uh you get like i we were in the movie theater and like people audibly gasped when uh-huh. that happened <laughs> including me because you just don't see that anymore no you don't see that anymore but what i loved about it i mean obviously it's not like a pleasant thing to it's watch. horrific it's yeah. horrific to watch but what i loved about it is that paul thomas anderson was so clearly being like yeah, this is still fucking a thing and this is still relevant and it's still bad, but I'm so aware that it is the white people that are the problem. Yes. And so, I i mean, it's not to say that I didn't care that it was in the movie, but like, I, I'm not like mad at him for putting it in the I, movie. I, I thought it was a really brave yeah. and different choice to put that in there and to remind people that it is a period piece. Yeah. And like, I talk about this a lot on this podcast where I have a weird... Like it, it always feels weird to me when like current movies have those kinds of stereotypes in them or like if the filmmaker should know better, like why are they promoting this or that? And like to some degree, I feel that even with this, but mm-hmm. I think that that just has to do with the fact that like it makes people uncomfortable, uncomfortable. yeah, and it makes me uncomfortable. But I think for him to have it in this movie and like make it so that he like the character that was doing it is the problem yeah and like he's the butt of the joke and his japanese wives are the ones being like you you fucking fucking idiot (laughs) like you fucking trash popsicle and everyone around them was watching him just being like are you fucking hearing this guy and he's like i do not know japanese like no (laughs) he's simply just talking to them in a japanese and a horrific japanese accent so i think that like I, i mean it's obviously like not my place to say whether or not it was offensive at all it definitely was fucking offensive sure but i think that i think that it added to the nostalgia package of the movie because people did talk like that people were incredibly like they had fucking tunnel vision Mm -hmm. and like this time period was so in your fucking face the 70s were so in your face Mm -hmm. that i think having it for shock value I, I can understand that for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it woke the audience up and was like, the, this is a real problem that was happening during this time. Mm-hmm. And just a lot of degree still happening still today. Happening now. Like this world was not like sunshine and rainbows and 25 year old falling in love. <laughs> no, it was, it, it you know, I again, the juxtaposition, right? It was, yes, a bunch of teenagers can run a waterbed business, but then all those same teenagers their waterbed business could fail because of the gas issues. Yeah, exactly. It's literally the oil embargo because of the fucking oil embargo. Like, of course. And like the scene where Alana is telling Gary, like, well, what is, what are 
the waterbed's made out of? And he's like, um, I don't know. She's like, vinyl. Okay, now what is vinyl made out of? He's like, mm, I don't know, rubber. <laughs> She's like, oil, Gary. Oil, Gary. <laughs> and for the fucking record, rubber is also made of oil, you fucking idiot. <laughs> and like them realizing that there are real world ramifications yeah. to their fucking shenanigans. Yes. Like there are real world consequences to the things that they do on a daily basis. Yeah. And it's just so fucking funny. It's a real, it's like a very genuine coming of age for both of them. It's fantastic. It's very like fantasy and like kid land uh-huh. and like they can do anything and they can build a pinball pack pinball palace and they can sell waterbeds and then the flip side of that is there's a fucking oil embargo yeah and like she goes to work for a congressman who has his own issues mm-hmm. and those are like it's so good like because you see all of the facets of what growing up is actually like yes and trying how trying to hold on to the fantasy of childhood mm-hmm. is truly just fucking futile because eventually that oil embargo will be coming around the mountain honey <laughs> God. it will be coming around again i don't want to think about it gas is five dollars <laughs> gas is five dollars a gallon i feel personally victimized yep. by licorice pizza <laughs> oh man oh god what a movie well I guess that was Paul Thomas Anderson. That was PTA. That, that was Paul Thomas Anderson. I love this man so much. I love him and his wife, not wife, Maya Rudolph, and their small children. Monica and I saw them once in person. Oh, God, yes. In the valley. We saw my. We didn't see Paul Thomas Anderson. No, we saw Maya behind the Madrid Theater. We saw Maya Rudolph looking <laughs> stunning. Stunning. In a maxi dress with yes. these beautiful earrings. Yes, sunglasses. And she was decked out. She, she was decked the fuck out with her three daughters uh-huh. all rolling up in their fucking tutus because <laughs> it was a dance and thing. she came out of a fucking minivan yes girl humility humility <laughs> humility bitch that's what it's like in the valley in the valley <laughs> rolling up to the madrid theater <laughs> representing Compizio dance shop <laughs> Capizio is a valley institution it's a valley institution you know what you love uh, okay, Monica, since this episode is so fucking long, give me a quick dabble. A uh, quick dabble. I'm taking a ceramics class. I'm learning how to make a bowl. Well, that's so exciting. Thank you. That's so exciting. More adventures to come. Lovely. Jessica, give me your dabble. Quick. Um, I'm starting school on Saturday. Yay! Whee! Grad school. Ceramics class, grad school. We're just a couple of educated beans. Just a couple of queens. A couple of queens, couple you know? of queens in the, behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, queens. Queens. <laughs> uh, well... As always, don't sue a steady Favreau. Good night, Monica. Good night, Jessica.